What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Love Talk Radio. Conversation on Justice, uh, where we today will be examining some issues related to our community. Uh, and uh, your host today is Charles Cheek. Uh, we're happy to have with us today Cameron Bertrand. And also, I understand a young man is supposed to be coming on also. Um, I haven't seen him on the line yet, uh, but we, we hopefully he'll join us uh, sometime during this conversation. So, Cameron, welcome to Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. How are you doing yeah, today? We, we're gonna, we, I'm doing very well. And yourself? I'm pretty good, man. I can't complain. And Deshaun and if you do, who's going to listen to you? Oh, he is? Okay. All right. Yes. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about the topic today is just us. Uh, justice, the, the hood ain't no lockup. So often... You know, we're raised in, or we grew up in areas, or we live in areas where we feel like we're trapped, and we feel like we're we're behind bars, and there's no way out, but and and that no one is reaching out or into the community uh, to to help those that are there who, who who need some assistance with issues that are going on in their life. We want to talk about a specific program and, and a young man uh, who saw the need and decided to 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 gather some folks together and go into the community and to affect some change. Uh, so we're, we're going to start off and we're going to talk to Cameron um, today about some of the things that occurred in that community uh, and, and that was occurring in the community and what need did he see and how did he bring this all together. But before we get to there, I want Cameron to tell us something about yourself, your life, and what brought you to this point. 
Yeah, well, um, I could definitely say there's probably been a, a variety of things that uh, put me on this path, but um, definitely being able to be ex- uh, exposed to different things. I grew up as a military child. My father was in the military, so being able to uh, be exposed to different demographics and different uh, environments really helped out a lot with helping me see the big picture, and that's something that I've always known growing up. Um, fast forward, and I moved to Virginia uh, in high school, and I, I kind of I had a I had a hard time adjusting because the 757 area is very unique in the sense that as much talent and potential as there as there is, a lot of people here have that crabs in the bucket mentality. They don't like seeing other people do well, and that was something that um, I wasn't exactly used to, and I I didn't even know how to deal with it initially. Um, by growing up and, and I went to Deep Creek High School, um, which wasn't, you know, the best area, but it was it was very it was very beneficial with helping me with my journey and helping me understand that um not all neighborhoods are exposed to the same amount of resources, not all people are are being put in positions uh to succeed. So being able to take that initiative and knowing that I wanted to change my situation and and not only just make excuses, but make sure that I could do everything possible to put myself in a position to succeed. So going to college was something that I've always wanted to do. Um, but growing up in predominantly black neighborhoods my whole life, I wanted to make sure that I was exposed to something that was going to prepare me for the real world, which is how I ended up choosing Christopher Newport University. Um, definitely a big culture shock going to that school initially, and it was something for me that um, I had to adjust and realize that um, being a product of my environment was something that I could be proud of, but I had to understand that there's a there's a process in being able to adjust, and and not all people embrace that process. You know, not all people understand that, you know, impression management is a very important thing. Perception is everything in most people's eyes. So it's not about, you know, selling out or or being something that you're not. It's giving yourself a chance because most people won't do that for you. So um, after, you know, getting accepted in Christopher Newport, I was able to go on and join the military. I did four years in the Army as a paralegal, played uh, college football, and these were all things that literally led me to the point where I was able to get the opportunity to conduct my own internship with the Boys and Girls Club. That's actually how I got my, my opportunity to start working with the community and running programs and actually building relationships with people. And that's what actually helped me make my decision to actually retire from the military after my four-year contract. Um, not all people understood my decision because I was literally a few months away from commission as a JAG officer. But this was something that I understood that I was having a direct impact on people that actually could benefit from it, and I wanted to make a difference in the world and not just be another number. So that was kind of the reason that I made the decision to transition over to the Boys and Girls Club. And it was crazy because literally after being a part of the organization for uh, a good two years, I got promoted to the position that I'm at now as an area director, and that's when everything happened. Literally a month after I got promoted, um, I was leaving North State's homecoming, and that's when uh, attempted robbery happened, and that's when I got shot. So that was something for me um, 
to actually go through my own life, uh, not making the right choices, learning my, learning the hard way, and and correcting my mistakes, and really getting to the point where I felt like I was finally on the right track. <laughs> and then for that to happen, that was something for me. Um, it was mind blowing, and it was baffling because I couldn't understand why this was happening to me and why I was going through what I was going through. But I also knew that things could have been very different. Um, because when I got when I got shot, the bullet went straight through my hip, came out my inner thigh, and literally grazed my artery, but didn't pierce it. One millimeter to the left, and I would have bled out in eight minutes. So to me, I knew that that could have been, you know, literally the deciding factor in whether I lived or not. Because a lot of people that literally saw me laying on the ground in my own blood didn't even stop to help. Look me, look at me. A car drove by. Another car drove by. Stopped and literally looked at me and kept going. And that was something for me that was that was heartbreaking for people to see me as a human being laying on that turf and didn't think that I deserved the chance to live. I knew that comes from the culture of violence and people are so numb to it because they automatically assume that I was either a gangbanger or a drug dealer because I was on the block in Norfolk. They automatically assume that I brought that I brought that upon myself. And I know that if I had been laying there in my military uniform or with my degree from sociology and criminology on my chest, I definitely think that somebody might have been more willing to help. But I understand, you know, perception is key. Perception is everything. And that was something for me that I had to take a long time to get to the point where I'm at now and realize that there's a lot of young boys and, and even young girls that are going through the same situations that I went through. So to take that take that initiative and use and use my situation and turn it into something that I was gonna be able to help other people, it literally helped me all the way. Because I didn't go to counseling for my PTSD. I didn't go go to counseling for my night terrors that I was suffering from. You know, my rehab for me was being able to be in a place where other people could understand what I was going through and people embraced the fact that I wanted to help them and prevent them from going through the same things that I've been going through uh, to this day. Um, so to be able to be in a position where I can actually impact others and keep my mind where I want it to be, you know, in a positive place and know that I'm making a difference and helping others, it, it really makes the makes the difference. Because I don't have, you know, back home, there's some friends that I have, you know, that I used to grow up with, that I grew up with, that aren't in the same place I'm at in life. You know, they 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 still have that same hood mentality, eye for an eye. So me being a part of this, this process and knowing that I can't continue this cycle and be a hypocrite um, by retaliating, that was something for me that I had to make sure that I stayed firm on my decision to decide that I was going to embrace this, this pain and turn it into something that was going to help others. What is your perception there? I mean, you mentioned something about when you came to this area, the reality shop, uh, uh, Crabs in the Barrel. What, what is your perception of that now since you mentioned it? Well, actually, it's, it's, it's actually starting to change. Um, and I would say that because literally this story that aired, um, this is my third story that I've done with Gravy TV 10. Um, the first story I did was Beyond the Bullet, 
which they started doing on my uh, the violence prevention program that I started with Centera um, over in Norfolk. So to see the story that aired with the Past with the Manhood program and to see so many people reaching out to my young boys and reaching out to myself and reaching out to my community partners and supporting and embracing what it is that we're that we're doing, that's starting to change my, my perception because um, I've literally, my whole time living in Virginia, I couldn't understand why it is that people, people were not so open to, sorry about that, but people were not open at all to helping, to seeing other people succeed, to helping others, and I really think that that is, comes from the fact that people don't want to take that initiative and leave their own front doors and go help others. So to see young people, literally young people between the ages of 11 and 18 that are literally coming from one of the, the worst areas in Newport News, to see that, to see them stepping up, I think that's kind of, and it's, it's motivating others to say, okay, if these kids aren't going to make a, make an excuse for their, you know, for their circumstances, then I'm not either. And I really think that that's what's been the main focal point. You know, I'm so proud of these these young men that have been a part of this program because there's so many other things that they could have done with their time and with their lives. So for them to take, take this step up and, and make sure that they weren't going to make excuses. I really think that that's been, you know, a huge part of, of why I'm, that perception for me is starting to change personally. So, um, and it helps, like I said, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I do this day in and day out, seven days a week. Um, and this ain't a, this isn't a job that you get a lot of, you know, pat on the backs and thank yous, and that's not why I do it, or I wouldn't be here. So to see, literally see these kids changing before your eyes and to see them going from boys to literally growing into young men, you know, that's the difference maker right there. So was your, your transition that you went through, was that uh, part of the driving force that makes you aware, at least your eyes open, because a lot of times people can can get involved with things, but their eyes are not open. They're, they're, they're entering for the, all the wrong reasons. But your experiences, is that causing your eyes to open more to see what's in these young men and, and the community itself in, in terms of response? Absolutely. Like, the way I see it is when I was laying on that ground, that, that could have been any one of them. That could have been any one of them. And the fact that 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 people were literally going to be willing to let I, I like I said it was not just one or two people, it was multiple people that literally saw me laying on that turf and didn't even decide to help. You know? Like that was something for me that, that I, I couldn't I couldn't believe. And I really just hope, you know, that the more and more that the programs that we run, um I I, I couldn't I couldn't just stand aside and not do anything because I would be no different than them. You know what I mean? Me standing aside and not taking the action and doing anything about it, that for me, that I, I have no other choice but to step up because I'll be no different, no different. And I couldn't for the longest time, you know, for the life of me, figure out why those people didn't help. I still would love to know if I was ever, ever, ever able to see the people that was in those two cars and the lady that sat on her front porch and yelled across the street and asked me if I needed help, but never left the front porch. Never left the front porch. So those are the type of things that if I stay focused on that, um, I probably would drive myself crazy. But I did know that I, that if there was anybody else 
that was in a position like me, I would want them to get the help that I should have gotten. So those are the things that bring an awareness to these issues and making people understand that it's not okay and that this violence and crime should not be the norm. Those are the things that bring in, you know, bringing attention to those issues. I really feel like is what's gonna is what's gonna make the difference. Okay, so so that in your life, was there a point where this? And I'm not gonna use the analogy. Well, I'll use the analogy that someone was laying in the street. Not not saying that he got shot, but someone that um, or people or groups of people that that you weren't paying attention to. And maybe this was that point when you were laying in the street, the transitioning period that made you start focusing more on, on uh, folks and their hurts and uh, and their uh, and the downsides in the community that, that are keeping them trapped or where they feel locked up. Yeah, I mean, I grew up, and that's what I'm saying, like, Deep Creek High School, uh, it, it, it opened my eyes to, you know, a similar concept in the sense that I do feel like not, I guess, not accountable, but there was a lot of my friends that um, I feel like they could definitely be doing, you know, more doing what I'm trying to do with my life. And instead, you know, they're still trapped, if you will. And I do think that um, if they had had, you know, a few more uh, resources at hand or a few more uh, people to open their eyes to the things, because I had to learn these things the hard way. You know, um, I have two loving parents that literally provide and made sure that I didn't have to do the things, you know, that other people feel the need to do, go out and rob and take from others to provide for themselves. My parents always provided and made sure that I didn't have to put myself in situations like that to provide for myself. But growing up in areas where your your friends or the people you call your brothers and your sisters um when that's the norm for them, you find yourself in situations that you know you shouldn't be in. And so me having that home, you know, that, that, that foundation at home, I knew that any decision that I made that I was either going to have to, you know, stand behind it or I was going to pay for it in the end if it wasn't something that I was raised to do. So those are the difference makers. I mean, I really do feel that there's a lot of people that feel they're trapped and they're just looking for someone to literally believe in them or, or just or just motivate them. And there was a lot of other people, you know, where I felt like, you know, we all come from the same place. We all had the same, you know, the same uh, opportunity. So if you didn't make it, that's on you. That's how I used to feel. And I don't feel that way anymore. I do feel like, you know, everybody, everybody should be in this together and we should all be pushing each other to get to the top. Okay, so you spoke of perception being reality. So when, you, when you're working with the community, you're going in the community, their perception, obviously, their reality, uh, I mean, how do you get the two to mesh? How do you come to some sort of uh, uh, middle of the road where you're all seeing the same thing and, and where you're caring about one another uh, and those relationships get started? Man, consist, being consistent. Like, I don't, everything that I do, these parents here know, well, the parents that do come here, because um, we have very low, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our kids that come to the club, the Boys and Girls Club, you know, we service kids that come from low-income environments, single-parent homes. So most of the parents, most of the time, are out working or doing what they got to do. Um, so I have this issue at, you know, with a lot of my clubs. But me stepping in, you know, as a young director, I had to show them 
that literally the partnerships that I've been able to attain with the community, going out there and literally showing them the difference of how things, because they see how things used to be in the club. They see how the neighborhood used to be. So me going out there, not just standing behind the desk, me going out there and, and making free programs and starting different uh, cheer teams and athletic teams, but not just letting them play sports but making sure that they are involved in programs throughout the day uh, inside of the club so that they're actually being impacted the way they should be. Um, making sure that they're actually not only just making relationships with each other, but people that may may not even go to the club, you know, people that live in their neighborhood, going out into the communities and making sure that I not only just make events free, but I actually, I'm actually there to be there and interact with the people. Um, but just make, making sure that the kids are having fun, providing a safe place for them to learn and grow. That's what we're really about. But I am a man of my word, or I try to be. And there's not I haven't been in too many positions where – um, I've ever, ever, ever let a kid down. Like, the parents know that when they come to me for something or if the kids come to me for something, that I'm going to get it done because I'm very passionate, and, I, and they know that I could have been anywhere else. I came back to these clubs. Um, I was on bed rest for a minute, and the day I got pushed, I got my bed rest pushed up a week ahead so that I could come back. I was here every day on crutches, still 100% paralyzed from the knee down. So I think that the parents seeing that, I think the kids seeing that, they knew that, you know, I could have been at home soaking up the disability check, feeling sorry for myself. But I didn't do that. I was here every single day, Monday through Sunday, and I still am. And that's something for them that they can't deny. They know my car. I can pull on the block on any one of my boys and girls clubs, and they know it's me. You know, the parents know me, and that's something for me I take pride in. Um, I take pride in being observant and getting to know people and, and surprising them, you know, with things that they think that I might not remember, um, little things like that. So I do think it's the little things that count because a lot of people don't exactly understand what the Boys and Girls Club is about or what we do as an organization. And people understand who I am as a person, and I don't want them to think that just because I'm young that I can't get things done. And I'm not a big person. You know, I don't just talk. I, I, I follow up with action. So I do think that people being able to see the difference that I'm making in all the communities that I service um, has helped me out a lot because I'm passionate about what I do, and I think it shows. So, Well, the Boys and Girls Club is, is a vehicle. I mean, it's a good vehicle. I, you know, when I was growing up, the Boys Club was there um, also. Uh, and was a, a good uh, galvanizing point in the community. Um, it, but the thing of it is, it took the, it was the people who actually operated the Boys and Girls Club. They were they were Absolutely. the conduits. They, they they were the ones. It may have been the Boys Club's name up there, but it was the Hopsons and the, uh, and the other folks uh, that were in the in the clubs that brought uh, continuity and, and safety and relationships uh, uh, for the folks who went there for us growing up at that time. They were, they were our heroes, and I hear the same thing. Um, uh, you, I mean, even though we, I mean, I grew up, I had two parents, and um, uh, and others had parents in the household, but still there, there was some, having an external person, individual, that you can see outside of the, the house 
uh, that you can place some confidence in is important. Now, tell me, tell me about Absolutely. this passport to manhood. What is that all about? Man, Passports to Manhood is a program, um, again, that kind of helps men, these young boys, transition into into manhood. Um, this isn't something, there is no script or no book uh, that's written on how to be a man. You know, a lot of us learn things through inter, uh, through experiences in life, and we internalize those things, and those things make us who we are. So the purpose of Passports to Manhood is to make sure that the things that they're internalizing are things that are going to help them moving forward in life. Um, a lot of people think that uh, showing emotion makes you less of a man. They think that uh, if you're not able to, you know, if you that they think that only the only way to defend yourself or to assert yourself, if you will, um, is through physical contact uh, or conflict, if you will. These are the things that literally showing them that for one, most conflict that you find yourself in. Um, that escalates to anything physical can always be avoided. It's just in all in how you perceive it. So giving them not only real-life examples and letting them not only hear these things but actually act them out themselves through role-playing so they can see that firsthand that there's always a different way to handle a situation. It's just how you think about it in that moment. Um, giving them practical tools and skills that they can take away from this program and that when they leave these clubs that they can actually assert these things and make sure that not only that they that they do it themselves, but they can check each other. Um, the program is very intimate, so the kids that come throughout this program, um, we make sure that if they're going to be there, they have to be there on a consistent basis. So each time we run this program, it's about an eight, nine-week-long program each session, um, they have to, and it's once a week. So if they have, if they're going to be there, a part of this program, they have to be there for every session. Um, Deshaun, who was the chairman of, of Passport to Manhood, did a great job with um, not only keeping the roster and helping pick activities throughout the curriculum, but he made sure that the guys, when they were throughout the program, that they stuck together, that they weren't. Um, we don't laugh at anybody's opinions. We make sure that if anybody has a different opinion, that we talk those things out and make sure that we meet halfway on that because um, that's another thing that that young men deal with is is the conflict of button heads and the different opinions. They feel the need to to assert themselves over another, um, and if they don't, they're going to be perceived as weak. So literally, that perception within itself, making them understand that most of these things that you get upset about in that moment aren't worth it. That you have to look in long term, because regardless whether you feel so or not, if you don't see yourself making it to 25, and then you do, then what? You know what I mean? You're going. It's those. Those are the types of things that you might as well be prepared, because those are the type of things that I at one point didn't even entirely know. Because of so many people around me, at one point, even my junior year of high school, there was eight people in my school district alone that got killed by gunfire. And they were all trying to go to college on football scholarships, one right in front of me. So these are the things I'm like, dang, where, like, how can, like, how can I even avoid this? You know, how can I even avoid these things myself? So I get it. I get the, I get the idea of not knowing if you're going to make it to a certain point. But I never was the type of person that I was going to wait around just to see. And I don't think they should either. And that's something that literally pushing these things and letting them know, hey, you can do this. 
putting them in positions where they actually prove it to themselves, putting them in positions where they get to interact with local community partners and local leaders and people that they can actually relate to and see, hey, well, dang, this person, he went through this, and he still made it to that point, so maybe I can too. And that's really what it's about, is getting them to see the big picture, and we're bringing the big picture to them because a lot of the kids don't even get to leave their block. So not only do we make sure uh, Dwayne Hickman and uh, Shaka Smith with Party of Life, partnering with them was huge, 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 because they were able to help us bring the big picture to the kids by sponsoring this, uh, not only just sponsoring this program, but, but also by coming in and building relationships, as I mentioned, with the kids, not just on the days of the program, but throughout the week on the, and on the weekends, too. So the kids could look at them and be like, okay, not only can I come to Mr. Cam or not only can I come to Deshaun, but I can come to the, to our chairman of Paps with the Manhood, too. So that was something huge for them to see because what they're exposed to on a daily basis aren't people that are doing what we're doing. You know, they're people that they may be perceived as successful because they're putting food on the table or clothes on their back. And that's something that is huge, you know. Um, that perception alone of being successful, you know, it's kind of hard to tell them otherwise or tell them that's wrong if we're not offering something different. Because that's right. what you're taught as a young man is to provide for your family. And so a lot of times in the neighborhoods that we grew up in, that's all we're used to. We don't know that there's any other way to provide for your family. And those are things that we could go into days and days on, you know, how, you know, any distribution of resources and the relationship between race and incarceration rates, these are the things that we talk to them about because, again, they're very relevant and not all people um, are the ones that are affecting us. You know, like not all people need to be categorized because that connotation that they have, whether it's with their teachers, whether it's with their police, whether it's authority figures, period, they feel that they have to rebel against authority. So also, like, you know, letting them know, you know, uh, double standards, you know, not don't stereotype people, you know, if you don't want to be, you know, categorized. Don't do the things that you don't want done to you because no matter what it is that you've been through, um, it's not fair to do it to others, you know, and those are the things, again, just being able to push them to the point where they realize that, you know, making the right decisions and benefiting others is more important sometimes than putting your pride in front of everything else. So that program has been, you know, huge because these kids, unless we do it, you know, unfortunately they're not going to get this anywhere else. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you how do you get these kids? How, how do you... Are they recruited, or is this strictly a volunteer? Yeah, um, it's some. So we do have some kids that literally like they sign. Um, the minute that we that I started that we talked about starting this program, Deshaun was on board from day one um, because this is something that he has always looked for and longed for, and so he was very much so willing to embrace it. And so him coming in and not only um, embracing this program, but finding different ways to uh, get get the teams involved because Deshaun is a superstar in, in the Boys and Girls Club. Any Boys and Girls Club you bring them to, they know Deshaun. So him being a part of that program was reeling people in because they were like, okay, Deshaun's in here. Let me go see what it's about. So once we got it in, once we got them in there, recruiting is one part, but retaining them is another. So giving them incentives, you know, for one, we know that a lot of the kids. 
You know, that's why they, uh, a lot of the kids that, that walk around the neighborhood, they, a lot of times they're hungry. They go to the corner stores and they steal not because they want to be thieves, but because they're hungry. So Quality Life provided meals every time that we had a session. Uh, we had icebreaker activities, so when they come in, we always make sure that they get to talk to each other, whether it's about what may have been going on that week in school, whether it's current events. We have a nice little group discussion while they're eating and mingling with each other, and then we get down to business. So, uh, for instance, uh, the basketball, I started a, I started a JV, and bas- JV and varsity basketball team at a few of my boys and girls clubs. So one way to uh, to make sure that they understand, you know, both sides, I told them if you're going to play sports, you need to be involved in at least one program in the club. If you're above the age of 11 years old, then you're going to be in passports to manhood. If you miss a session for passports to manhood, then you're sitting out two quarters for the basketball game. So those are the things that they're like, okay, well, I don't want to miss basketball. And I don't exactly want to go to passports to manhood, but let me go see what it's about. And we've never had not one kid that went in there and, and complained or didn't like it. And that's the thing, like them even getting put in positions just to try new things, some of them are so stuck in being in the comfort zone. That's really what it is. That they, It's not that they don't want to do it, but they have this comfort zone, and they don't want to get out of that. So those are the things that just kind of influence them and letting them know that this is something that is only going to benefit you. These people are coming to volunteer their time to help run this program. So they don't have to be here. They could be doing other things, but they're here because they want to be here with you guys. They want to interact with you. So we need the people, you know, just stroking their ego a little bit because let's be real, you know. The teenagers, they are, especially at this point in time, a lot of teenagers feel like, you know, they know it all or that, they, that, they've, that they've seen it all already. And little do they know, they haven't. So, um, but it's very hard. You know, you don't want to get into an argument battle with a teenager because in the mind, nine times out of ten, the prize going to kick in and you're not going to win. So just focus right. your ego a little bit and letting them know, like, hey, I'm not doing this because I'm trying to take away from the fun or anything like that, but this is a program I want to see you succeed and I want to see you do well in life, and I think this will help with that. So those are the things, just the way that you talk to them and not, you know, just uh, just talking down to them or, or, or letting them know, hey, you got to do this, but letting them know that this will benefit you as well. But everything that they do or that you don't do has consequences. So, so let them know as well, hey, well, you know, you're, you're a young man and this is your decision. But if you decide not to, these are your consequences. Because in life, it's the same way. You know, anything that you do, there's consequences and repercussions for that. So that's the type of things that everything about it is a learning experience for them. Because not only do they have to be there on time, and uh, but they have to be involved and engaged. So being accountable and then being a man of your word because they signed a contract before they even come in there that Deshaun had made up. And this is something that, uh, to form a brotherhood, we need everybody to be on the same accord. And that's what Deshaun felt strongly about that. So um, having him to push that influence definitely helped as well. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, the, the kids, you know, obviously, and I've seen this uh, quite a bit, that they're, they're walking the streets, they're hungry, and they go to the stores um, not to be thieves, but, you know, but to feed, you know, their, satisfy their hunger. Uh, so it, but the ones that are coming in, obviously are, are getting some of that need met. What about those ones that are still out there? What's being done to outreach to them? Well, this is something that I actually love. So between uh, my myself and my staff, but definitely myself, um, 
because of a lot of the people that actually live, you know, um, Judge and Drive is known as the high block. So there's a lot of people that that on that side of the on that side of the street where I was able to not only get to know them, but talk to them more and and and, and understand why it was that they're not coming to the club or why they felt the need or why they didn't want to, you know, even be involved. So the kids that we see walking the streets, anybody that looks like they're even old enough to benefit from our program, we literally go out there and talk to them because there's so many people that walk right up and down these streets that we're wondering why they're not at the club. So we start to recruit these kids because it's a free, you know, these the Pondo Manor and Tyler Avenue, they're free. The clubs are free. So those are the things that we let them know that you literally could be here, especially during the summertime, all day. We serve the kids between 6 and 18. So they often try to find, they often try to find excuses uh, for them to not be there. But I'm the type of person that I really, if they can't give me one good reason, if it's not work, if I see you standing out here on the block every day, then I definitely could benefit from you being here because I tell them all the time, it's very hard. I'm not from this area. And I, and I let them know that the teenagers that are out there standing there right now, I'm like, little do you know, these kids know who y'all are because half of y'all have younger brothers and sisters or nieces and nephews that go to these clubs. Y'all have a direct impact on what they're seeing as successful. If they look up to you and they see you standing out here in these streets doing whatever you're doing, they're going to grow up to do the same thing. And I let them know that whether you knew that or not, these are facts. These are facts. And so I need your help. And I tell them this all the time. I need your help because I really believe that they can help make sure that this influence is expanded the way it should be. And those are the type of things. We have so many teenagers that literally they know what I've been through as well. Uh, even the 18, 19, 20-year-olds, uh, people that know me, that see me around, they know I'm genuine. A lot of people, you know, you know, real recognize real. That's a real thing. So a lot of people right. that see what I'm trying to do, they know I'm not. I'm, I'm up here seven days a week, and they know, you know what I'm saying, half the time I'm here by myself. Like when my staff isn't here, I'm always, you know, the last one here. And those are the things that I try, you know, to do what I can for them. Um, and we always let them know that – there's only so much we can do. There's even times that we do things for them that we know, like, that we probably would never get paid back for. And they know that, too. So those are the type of things, just being real with themselves, and they know that there's not a lot of people that would do the things for them that we're doing for them. Helping them get jobs. I mean, uh, helping them literally every day they come here, if they're volunteering, this is something that goes onto their resume because we have a few teenagers now than they would consider going to college before. So being exposed to something that they feel like they can be a part of, um, because that's really what it is. Most people that join gangs, most people that, that can't leave the hood, it's because they, they're they a part of something. You know, they're a part of something that's bigger than them, and like everybody wants to be a part of something that they, they feel like they belong to. And that's really what it is. So providing something where it's like we have a family here too, that can actually help you get out of your situation and provide for your own family if that becomes the, if that becomes the case. So giving them something to be a part of, so that they don't feel like they have to be a part of the gangs and the and the, and the violence that's going on in the neighborhoods. Because even the people that are doing it don't want to be in that life forever. They're doing it because they have to. 
You cross right. one person the wrong way, and you're gonna be running for the rest of your life. And, I, and they, these are like these are facts, you know. And these are the conversations that have with these teenagers. You don't want to spend the rest of your life running. You don't want to spend the rest right. of your life figuring out how you're gonna get your next meal. But these are the things I can't help you if you keep standing on that block. I can't help you if you don't want to step up and make the decision for yourself. And these are the conversations we had. So actually engaging and talking to them because a lot of them, they never had anybody that come to them like that or come at them off the strength that we're trying to help them better themselves. I'm not looking down on you. I'm not telling you anything or being a hypocrite because half the things that you've done, I've been there and done that. And the only reason I'm standing here talking to you now is because I've been kept here for a reason. So a lot of times I tell them that reason wasn't always clear. So I kept pushing, and it's becoming more and more clear as the days go on. But I tell them all the time, I know you look at me because I come up here, I don't dress. I, I make sure I dress as much as I can, shirt and tie. Because a lot of the kids that I service, you know, the kids that I work with, the only time they see a black man dressed up is when he's going to court or he's going to church or a funeral. They ask me this every time. Every time, why are you dressed up? Why, are you, why why, am I dressed up? You know what I mean? Like, that's not something that I felt like if I was literally uh, in corporate America all the time, I would never get, I don't get asked that question when I try, when I transfer over there. You know, when I go over and I go to my meetings or whatever, I'm, my community partners or events, I don't get asked why I'm dressed up. But because of the circumstances and because of this environment, I get asked that question multiple times at different clubs. So that's something that is changing their perception of everything that they're used to seeing on a daily basis is, 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 is what's making the difference. The hood ain't no lockup. That's for sure. It's the way out. It's the way out. Deshaun, 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 the hero of the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, yeah. Tell us about Deshaun and, and what brought you to where you are with the Boys and Girls Club at this point. Um. Uh, my name is Deshaun, uh, and, and I mean, the Boys and Girls Club has been, like, a very big impact in my life, simply because I was one of those kids that came and talked about being from the low-income homes and um, being in a single-parent home and just living with my mom and everything, and the guys trying to do and public housing and stuff like that, and it wasn't easy, and being six or seven years old, having a brother that was two years younger than me. I had my mom with two jobs. I had to be home day to watch him. And late night when the shoes outside, with two little boys that are scared to house while our mom is at work working two jobs to provide for our family. And things like that were hard growing up because I had, I didn't have the male role, no male role model to protect me in circumstances like that. So when we moved, we moved to a, a better area, but she was still working two jobs, still having to babysit my brother while I'm only nine or ten years old, and he's sick, so if I still don't have the qualities I need to help raise another little boy, I'm still trying to figure out myself and what I need to do as I'm growing up. And the Boys and Girls Club was those doors that opened up that, that I needed a lot in my life because it gave me the sense to that was worth something. And like Ken talked about is that when you're growing up as, as a young man or as a little boy, things like crying, throwing emotion, makes it seem like you're weak, or things that when you don't fight back makes you seem like you're weak or anything. 
But I had I was I fell into that bracket of the kids that didn't want to fight and so like I didn't have to fight and prove anything. But then I was bullied or picked on because I didn't want to so-called stand up for myself. But the fact that I didn't want the, the physical confrontation and I didn't have a male role model in my life to tell me that it's okay not to necessarily fight back or anything that doesn't make you weak. But the fact that I didn't have that male role model, anything that was said to me is what I began to believe, and that's just how how things that panned out for me in life and that took me to points of depression and spots where I wanted to commit suicide and things like that because I feel like those are my last results. So I didn't go to my mom with anything because I felt like she was already stressed out about working so much and that in a single parent home I had friends that had a parent with a parent, two parents, a mom and a dad living in their house. And if I go to their house on the weekend they, it would be fun because it's like they had both parents and I never got to experience those things. So the boys and girls club gave me those staff members that filled in like aunts and uncles that taught me the life lessons that I needed growing up as a little boy, which helped me share the same things with my little brother and things like that. So as I got older in the club, I ended up meeting Mr. Cameron, and Mr. Cameron became a click. Well, it didn't click instantly, but at some point in time, Cameron had became like my dad. And at first we had our our little rough patches and stuff like that because, like, um... It, it wasn't easy to accept somebody right away, but it, it became a tough love, and I always wonder why he was so hard on me growing up and stuff like that. I didn't see the things that he saw in me, and I struggled with that a lot, but he began to show me that I was worth way more than what I was setting myself for, and um, he really stepped in for that father figure that I needed. Um, like I mentioned, like my dad lived between 100, 200 feet away from his boy and girl stuff, and he knows that I'm here every day, and I don't, I don't talk to him as much as, as he should. Like I have brothers and sisters, I have, I have eight brothers and sisters on the side, and none of us have the connection with our dad that we would like. And yeah, I sit back and wonder how he feels if he sees me on the news talking about how I don't have my dad in my life, or reading my articles where I talk about growing up and meeting my dad in my life and him not being there. And I constantly wonder what he thinks about it, but. <laughs> he still doesn't text. I don't get a text like, hey, I saw you on the news. Like, oh, him concerning or him being upset that, I mean, that I'm talking about him in that way that he made my life. But it, it's, that's how my life has been going lately. And I don't, I mean, I thank for him for being here and having me in my life. But there's things that, there's things that I needed him for that he wasn't there. And, he popped up. He he, he asked me up for tickets to my graduation, and I gave him tickets to my graduation. And he was there, and that made me happy. It made me this type of way. But yeah, he wasn't there for the moments where I needed him as a young boy to grow up. And when I'm being bullied, and times when I'm crying at home, I need someone to talk to. He wasn't there for it, and that was just a hard pill to swallow to realize that. All everybody's dad is not in their life, but with the past the manhood program, I wasn't the only one who's been through things like that where their dad is not in their life. And when Cam first opened the door to pass with the manhood being a program that we were going to start here at our club, it was like, it was it was a relief. And it was like, okay, well, this is a program that, hey, I need to develop me more and things that I can learn to pursue as I go through high school, middle school and high school, but then also gave me the opportunity to help these little boys in the club that I call it my little brother's to give them 
insight on what I've been through and how I got to these first things so that I can turn it around and help them. And then he put me into position to where um, I became chairman of Pastor's Manhood, and that pushed me to, like, make new ideas and icebreaker games to make them feel comfortable because, like I said, when you show emotion, sometimes people make it seem weak if you're a little boy. And I know a lot of the guys came in there, they didn't want to open up and they didn't want to keep on their personal things in their in their head that they didn't want to share with all of us. But we had to make it a comfortable environment to where we all felt like we were brothers and that what stayed, what had was said in the room stayed in the room to say that personal things that the guys talk about aren't to be shared with people who aren't in our in the program in the circle to keep it um, private and safe for people's secrets that they share and that they feel comfortable sharing. So, Pastor Durant and the Boys and Girls Club had basically raised me. Like that, the club has raised me into the person I am today. And next week I'll be starting college at Norfolk State University, and that's the thing that college was a thing that I didn't I didn't think twice about growing up, and I didn't see myself going to college at all. And so people like Mr. Chairman and the Boys and Girls Club pushed me to do bigger things. I've gotten scholarships from the Boys and Girls Club and different um, organizations and different people that are going to get me to college. And now that's the place where I want to be because I want to go up and I want to be successful. And one day I hope to return and be the CEO and president of the Boys and Girls Club. Wow. Wow. I was going to ask you, what what does the future hold for 18-year-old Cameron? I mean, 18-year-old Deshaun. You just told me where where it's going, part of it anyway. But what are you going to do in the meantime? Um, because uh, between going to college and still having a connection back over in Newport News at the Boys and Girls Club and the neighborhood where you grew up and your siblings, uh, what what does Cameron want to do in terms of making sure that lives are transformed and, and the young men and girls are, are know where there's help in this relationship development for them. Well, one thing that it, it happens for Cam, like during the club, all our staff members are are well equipped to handle certain situations that are given. So I know that once I leave, they're going to people people who are going to be like, oh, he's gone. But there's way more people in the Boys and Girls Club that are able to help the, the boys and girls who have issues and problems. So, we have types of manhood, but we also have smart girls, and that's our, our female mentoring program. And um, the kids like it a lot, but there's always someone they can go to in the Boys and Girls Club. It's not just me or Mr. Cameron that they're the only person to go to. They may feel like that, but there's always a staff member that someone can go to. And um, I know I'll leave for college next week, but the Boys and Girls Club is never going to be, uh, okay, I'm 18 and I'm gone. Because we service kids between the ages of 6 to 18, but my life in the Boys and Girls Club is not going to stop once I step on campus at Norfolk State. And I'll, I'll be back down here when I'm on break and stuff like that, and I'll be working here in the summer. But in all, the, the whole point of it is that once I go to college and I study and my majors and everything, I'll be back at the Boys and Girls Club to get back as just as they did for me. And this is a place that I would encourage anybody to go to with, like, my kids and my brothers and sisters and my siblings. This is a place where I want them to come because I know that when they're at the Boys and Girls Club, they're in good hands. I mean, Deshaun, if I gave you a canvas, an artist canvas and, and some paints and a brush, how would you paint your life as you see it right now? 
or or how starting from if, if you had to do a mural from from uh, Deshaun at ten year old, ten years old and Deshaun at eighteen, what would that picture look like? The picture would start off as a tragedy. I felt as a kid I felt like my life was terrible. I felt like it was gonna go nowhere. I felt like I would grow up to be nothing. So it, it would be a sad painting at the beginning, but towards the middle and towards the end, it'd be it'd be very bright. It'd be very happy. Um, Mika is like speaking. Deshaun is like he's very happy now. My self-esteem level used to be so low, where it was like if somebody tells me that I'm getting bullied, or someone tells me something, it's, I begin to believe it, and it was just. It became normal to go to school and know that somebody's going to mess with me today. I'm going to come home, and I'm not going to be happy. But my life now is that I became more to know that I can be myself. And it took it took a male, a role model, to tell me it's okay to be yourself and the aspect that I'm growing up by women. So it's like they're telling me, okay, you need to be tough and stuff like this, but I don't have that male role model to make me tough. So it's like my mom is playing both roles. But having a male role model told me I could be myself, and it's like once I became myself, my my self esteem became higher. I knew who I was and what I was gonna be in life. I knew what I wanted to do, and that's what makes me so happy. And I love to talk to people and share my story and let them know what I've been through and how I got to it. Because I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I went through as a child. But I know I have no control of what they do through, but I can always help them how they can get through it. And, and they can pass down things like that. So, if I had to paint a mural, so, that's new, but it, it would it would look good. But it would definitely start off in a sad spot, but it would definitely end up being very bright and very big. So, where did you grow up in in, in, in Newport News? Um, I was born I was born really circled down on 12th Street in Newport News, and it was right across the street from Coal Factory, and we had shootings almost every night, boarded up houses across the grass, stuff like that. And we ended up moving because I had very bad asthma, and the fact that they would have the coal factory stuff down there in the area, it wasn't a good environment for my health. And then let alone for me and my brother Stacy being at home when my mom was at work. And then we were still living in public housing when we moved up down in um, So the hood is not a lockup. It, it can be a way out. There's always a way out. But it all depends on the difference you are trying, trying to make. Because, because like I, I said, said, when I was living, living downtown in the in the hood, I didn't feel like nobody nobody had goals that were set for themselves down there. I didn't go to the park and hear about someone saying, oh, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to graduate high school and I'm going to make something for myself. I think, I think that kids, young like they only can set themselves up to what their parents are, and that you can't set goals that are higher than your parents or what your what your your parent does, your parent or guardian does. But for me now, I want to set goals that are higher than my mom because she constantly tells me I want you to do things that I didn't do, or I want to save you from the things that I did when I was younger, and I want you to do those things. And I know some people feel like that's a cliche now that for some people hear all the time that your parents want you to do better, but. They honestly want you to do better because the circumstances are there, and you may not know every every nit and detail that they're going through, but they wouldn't want you in that circumstance. And I know that for my future, I definitely want to be successful, and I definitely want to help my mom definitely get back to the Boys and Girls Club community. In your community, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, whatever, whatever they may look that may look like at the time when you uh, uh, return to the area. Uh, what was 
did you uh, rebel against authority during that time you were growing up between age ten and now? I mean, what was your, what was your? Uh, I know you said that you felt like committing suicide, but was there any period where you were rebelling? Um, definitely. Um, I know, I know. As a kid, my mouth was something that was uncontrollable, and I felt like if you weren't my mom, then you had no right to tell me anything that I could do. And, you know, things like that, I think back, like, if I had a dad, my mouth may be in, like, less, like, crucial and dangerous, like, because that's why I would have that hard structure on me more. But I know, like, when I first got into the Boys and Girls Club, it was seven trying to talk to me. It was, like, I didn't really care, like, what they had to say. I didn't want to do anything because I felt like if I'm at home raising my brother on my own, making sure that dinner's fed, making sure he's in bed in time. I'm my own boss, and I'm raising him, and I felt like I could do whatever I wanted. Like, that was my mentality, and that's how I felt like my life was going for me. It's like, only person who's going to tell me what to do is my mom. And if you're not my mom, you're not telling me what to do. And I felt like if I had all these things on my shoulder where I had to force myself to grow up in order to help my mom out and to take care of my brother, I felt like I could say what I wanted to say. And I look back at it now, being 18 years old, and it's like, that, those weren't smart decisions because there could have been people earlier in the road that would have helped me just like Mr. Cameron that I pushed away or didn't want to talk to or didn't open up my, my emotions and my heart to and able to help me. And then the fact that it slowly happened to where I started losing the attitude and being more humble with the things that I needed help with until I realized that I was broke. And I realized that there were things that I needed help with that I wasn't ready to be helped with and want people to interfere with my emotions and my life. But as I began to realize that Deshaun is not perfect and Deshaun needs help in order to be successful in who he wants to be, he has to shut up and close his mouth and listen to what people have to say. Because everybody's not out to get me, but that people are out here to help me. And I didn't realize that growing up as a kid. And, and you see more, and now that you're in the position you're in, um, well, you probably saw it then, but it wasn't recognized. But you see more and more of your peers in the same position now. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, yeah, that happens a lot. And it kind of frustrates me now that, like, I have, like, I have a younger peer group that I hang out with. And it's like, things I get frustrated about, like, okay, why are they doing this? And it's like, my maturity level has grown, but it's things like, like bad mouthing and attitudes and stuff like that. I, I'm not going to say it's completely gone. But it's way less than what it used to be. And it's like, sometimes I still get stuck on how to, like, relate the message to younger kids. Like, okay, well, your attitude in your mouth is not going to get you anywhere because all they're doing is hurting yourself. And it's like, here at the Boys and Girls Club, when I see kids like that who have, like, really bad attitudes or get in trouble a lot and stuff like that, sometimes it's hard to, like, like get the message relate to them. But then I always try to, like, say, like, okay, well, a lot of the kids don't believe like that Mr. Cameron used to send me from the Boys and Girls Club every week or that I get written up all the time or like stuff like that. Like they believe that I was good throughout the club the whole time. So when Mr. Cameron I have a meeting and he'll let them know like, hey, I used to just spend the time every week or he's always in trouble and I always had him doing stuff like around the club and stuff like that. And they don't believe it. Their mouths are dropped like, are, are you serious right. and stuff? But those are things that build me up to be the person I am today. And those are things that he's taught me that I want to help these kids so they aren't put in bad predicaments if they continue to use their mouth or physical altercations and stuff like that because it's not going to get them anywhere. Okay. Okay. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. 
it's actually been enriching. It's been a learning experience, and I enjoy what you have shared. I'm sure those listening in today have done the same. I probably we could probably go on another several hours because uh, uh, there's a lot more to <laughs> explore. Uh, and and it's perhaps some perhaps sometime in the future we'll get back together and uh, and look at Deshaun where you are now and and. Um, and, and what's transpiring, and, and Cameron looking at more of that passport to manhood. Cameron, if folks want to get in touch with you, how can they do something? Uh, yeah. So, probably my cell phone or email. Via email. Uh, my email will probably be easiest. Um, and, and I can go ahead. I can, you have my email, right? Yes, I'll put that out there for you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So email probably be the easiest way. And yeah, that way, um, I'm very open to, uh, as long as my schedule permits, I love being able to help um, any way I can, anywhere I can. So a lot of those things, uh, especially with this program, we're looking to expand and recruit more teenagers uh, to be involved in this program. So by all means, uh, please feel free, or even if you like to uh, visit Find a Man and Boys and Girls Club, that either way, it would be perfect. Great. Thank you guys again uh, for the conversation today and taking the time Thank out. You for us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. 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 You know, there's always justice, and the hood ain't no lockup, so we need to get engaged not only as mentors, but also uh, as just human beings living in the community. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. You too. God bless you. Appreciate you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.